Rene, the, the business of becoming a singer and planning a career in uh, the 21st century um, is immeasurably different to the way it was many years ago. And I'm just wondering, what makes now a different time to be a singer? Well, first of all, let me just get a sense of uh, how many of you are singers in the audience? Oh, lots. Oh, good. Yeah. Wonderful. Any aspiring professional singers? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love that. Great. And presumably everyone else is an opera lover, a music lover. Um, any thoughts on, because it has changed so dramatically, mm -hmm. Edward, even since I started singing, so it hasn't been that long. Um, any thoughts on diva and the word diva? And can anybody throw out sort of what it means or, or, or ideally, can anyone tell me what the genesis of the phrase is? Does anybody know? Um, yes. Yes, that's, that's sort of the definition, yes. exactly. Yes. But it was late 19th century, mm -hmm. applied um, maybe not even to an opera soprano, possibly an actress. Uh, and um, then for the 20th century to opera divas. And now, uh, I mean, somebody said, I, somebody, I mentioned the word last night, wherever I was, and she said, oh no, but you're very nice. <laughs> and, so it's, it's become, I said, well, there is another definition. It's not yes. just the yes. bad behavior yes. piece. Yes, I'm a diva. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also, the other, you know, the other thing is that in the US, at least, the, uh, a lot of household products are now called divas. So we've, we've really expanded, um, we've expanded the yeah. meaning. So the, the idea of, of the opera singer as this exalted pedestal, um, height of the elitist arts has changed dramatically in my time. And some, some for the better, I think, it, in some ways we've tried to make it more accessible to people and us more approachable, and in some ways we've lost something. So um, the biggest change uh, for all of the arts has been the internet. You know, the, the, the internet, trying to find a way onto the internet is, is dramatic. Um, earlier for us, travel has been tremendous because I'm on the road all the time uh, when I, because I sing all over the world. And it wasn't that long ago that people spent months in South America, months in Europe, and maybe some months in New York and worked in an ensemble and created extraordinary musical uh, events because of this in-depth work. And at the start of my career, with the jet set age, came a sort of more slapdash, um, how, how little time can I spend rehearsing this piece? How little time can we spend together, yeah. perhaps even just going on stage? Because you know, we all know it. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and I have seen a tremendous decline, actually, in the quality of performances as a result. The era you paid homage to in your album divas, those women who created many of the roles that have become familiar to us, mm. or not, as the case may be, they barely travelled at all, or if they right. did, it was, as, as you say, long periods in one place. Right. How do you think that benefited them vocally? I mean, do you think the modern age has really taken a toll on, on singers technically? by having to go well, to different, through different climates and aeroplanes, air-conditioned aeroplanes? I'm not, um, I haven't had the time to research this subject as much as I would like, but um, 
the little that I know, people did sing every night, didn't they? They performed every night in the 19th century, in the 18th century. So I, from that, I believe that the technique of singing was far different than it is today. I believe that people sang much more in their head voice, everyone, a much lighter, um, brighter style That's of singing. Uh, we, on the other hand, have developed a taste uh, certainly with new opera houses that have tended towards the far too large. Uh, and I believe it was even Mary Garden who said, I don't know why people want to come and hear a performance at Chicago Lyric Opera. It seats 3,600 people. And the Met is 4,000. And so orchestras are playing brighter, higher pitch, and, um, and they have a much more prominent place in the performance of opera which translates mostly into a, a louder. Yes, well, so, the instruments so, themselves are louder. Yes, and so what's happened then, of course, is that um, singers have been, uh, by necessity, having to cast everything up two steps from what it was. I would have sung Wagner 100 years ago, I think. I would have sung much heavier repertoire 100 years ago. Even when you listen in the 20th century to recordings, the, we have now 100 years of, re, of recorded history plus, which is phenomenal, and a great, I mean, you, you don't really know anything about the volume of a voice, but you can tell that it was brighter, that the words are clear earlier in the 20th century. And so I, I, from that, I've really surmised that techniques have changed and the desires change. And Jesse Norman is a perfect case, by the way, because James Levine at the Met, who developed the orchestra so phenomenally well, also his taste was towards much greater voices. Mm. Ariadne, for instance, of Strauss was a chamber opera, mm. written for a chamber ensemble. At the Met, it is outsized, yes. and I could never sing it at the Met, whereas I would have sung it everywhere again earlier in the 20th century. Mm. So mm. things have changed dramatically. Mm. Image, stardom, I was just in Vienna, where there were cut out, cardboard cutouts of Jonas Kaufmann everywhere. <laughs> People want to know what he is eating for breakfast. <laughs> and he, he, you know, they want to know everything about him. Yeah. He is the latest rock star yeah. of opera. Yeah. And I wish, I don't think that's bad. I wish we had more. I wish well, we had ten of them. He's terribly unusual in any, any way in the sense that his repertoire is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, he, he sings everything. Yes. And, I mean, you know, and that's, really, that's well. really unusual. And really well, <laughs> absolutely. I just saw him sing Fanchula last, uh, ten days ago in Vienna. Um, that said, I would have liked to have heard him better. And he'll, uh, prob he'll probably be singing Wagner next week. So, yeah. you know, it's that kind of... Yeah. Um, let's go back to the start, though, with young singers <laughs> who are starting out and training. What, I mean, obviously, there are huge opportunities, but there's huge competition as well, and there are huge yes. pitfalls. Yes. What are the big dangers, do you think, for a singer starting out today? I don't think there's any danger per se. I think it's enormously competitive. There is uh, less work than there used to be. And I talked to Dominique Meyer about this recently, who's the head of the Vienna State Opera. And he said, you know, it, it's, a, it's a trend situation and a, um, a cyclical situation where when I started out, for instance, there were great Mozart and Baroque singers. Um, some Americans, many from the UK. And in fact, uh, Ugal, who ran the Paris Opera, hired mostly British singers uh, because they were 
the best trained, the smartest, and the sort of most theatrical in a way. Um, you have this spectacular choral tradition here that requires your singers to be top-notch musicians before they're even singers. And we've, we don't have that in the US. So people don't have the musical sophistication sometimes by the time they get to the university level that you have here. From I, I, a guy this summer jumped in at the last minute with me in Capriccio at the Royal Opera and learned this incredibly challenging tenor role in three days. In three days. And basically, by the time I came, it was day number two, and he, it was as if he were sight reading this hugely chromatic part. Sure. I said, what's your background? Oh, choral, choral singing here. <laughs> so. Mm. Um, the biggest challenge you'll face, though, are the demands that will be made on you theatrically because in, yeah. in um, certainly in the most, in the territories where opera is still extremely popular, opera has become performance art. Yes. So I saw a production of Rusalka in Munich a couple of years ago that started out um, with a phenomenal concept, I thought it worked really well. Some operas work well conceptually because the stories are so thin, and um, <laughs> Handel works amazingly well for that. Uh, you know, and, and actually, in fact, uh, film directors are terrible with operas like this because they don't, they're used to verismo, they're used to doing real life. And uh, Rusalka, this started where the stage went up and you saw these children scampering around in the so-called basement of this house, and you knew it was a pedophile case from, and you knew which one it was, because it was so, such an important case. There were seven children running around. The moon was uh, an electric globe, uh, like a light. And Rusalka had this longing, uh, um, which is, you know, at the heart of every opera are the, the broad stroke emotions that feed it. And it worked so extremely well, but there was, I don't know, probably 10 inches of water on the floor that they had to run through the whole time. She was wearing a, a hip-length white charmeuse negligee, running around, beautiful, beautiful soprano, and running, 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 and then she had to sing the Song of the Moon, which is, Song to the Moon, which is um, one of those strange operas where the hit tune comes within the first 15 minutes. And the audience can say, oh, can we go now? Um, <laughs> Yeah. So um, and a big money note at the end of it, right? <laughs> and she couldn't. She really struggled with it. And I turned to the gentleman next to me, who was um, the artistic administrator for the house, and I said, "You know, if she just didn't have to run so much, she could probably sing it really beautifully." Mm -hmm. He said, "You know, imagine the timing. The timing beat. People here don't care very much about singing." <laughs> but what he meant was, what's What's become the most important thing are the theatrical values. The, the tragedy is that we're still seeing the same pieces 100 years later that were performed. The mainstream repertoire has not changed very much. Yeah. It's the only well, way to reinvent it, right? We're going we're, we're, we're to come to that yeah. in new writing a little bit later. But let's talk about the, the singing actor a little bit, yes. uh, Renee, because when I grew up, I mean, people stood and delivered, basically, or mm. park and bark, as the Americans yes. say. Um, yes, but um, like nowadays, the colleges are, there is a big emphasis on, on, on acting, right. on actually being, becoming a stage yes. animal. 
Um, and um, of course, with that, as you've just implied, you have to kind of constantly reevaluate mm. the pieces you think you know well right. by going into a new production. Mm. Um, first of all, do you find that stimulating? Um, you know, say a role like the Marshallin in Rosenkavalier, which you've just been doing in Vienna. Do you find it stimulating to go in with a clean slate and start again, or, or, or is that problematic in some ways for you? Well, the Marshall, and you know, is my favorite role, uh, and I focus very much on the Strauss operas right now in general. Um, I, frankly, it's not an opera that too much can be changed. You yeah, can change sure. the place, you can change the costumes, and you can change um, uh, various aspects to it. But the relationships are so are drawn in such detail. Mm that um, you can't change the fact that she's wrestling with the relationship that she knows will come to an end, that she's wrestling with aging, um, with her status in life, which is limited, um, and so on. I mean, it's a very focused story. And that said, I have never been in a new production of Rosenkavalier uh -huh. where I have worked with the director. Mm. As much as I'm known for it and as much as I've done it, I've only sung revivals. But you're so, going to be in a new production. A couple of them. I'm yeah. very. It'll be interesting at the end of my career to sort of in opera to have those experiences where someone comes in and says, "Have you ever thought about this yeah. or that?" Or um, uh, I always think the Marshallin has to end up with Octavian. I mean, you know, I, I just think that handkerchief has to bring them together again at the end of the opera because Sophie is such a. Yes. She's such an airhead, really, isn't she? <laughs> I, don't, I think she's going to run off with the Italian tenor. Yeah, I, exactly. I, exactly. I, I think she's going to have many more lovers. You know, <laughs> this is just a, I, this is one in a string. She says it in the first act. She says, you know, he, he trust me, my husband can come back very quickly. You know, once, and she catches herself and says, never mind, never mind. We won't, we won't talk about See, that. See, those are the fine details in the text. Right. That a good director yes. will latch on to. Exactly. Yeah. There's much more that can be done in that piece, I think, um, uh, in terms of detail work with the text, because the text is so rich. I mean, Hoffmannsthal. Hoffmannsthal, Strauss, mm. De Ponte, Mozart, mm. Mm. Shakespeare, and anybody, mm. any composer. <laughs> yeah. These are, are the great um, combinations in opera theater. Can we reveal? Um, this one of the directors that you'll be working with in Rosenkavalier, because I didn't know this until 10 minutes ago. Yeah, because it's sort of leaked. It's on the internet. Yeah. Uh, but actor, Austrian actor Christoph Waltz is um, directing. So it's, this is confidential yeah. <laughs> in this room. There's a prospect. Yeah, That'd but it, it's, it's sort of leaked, I think. It's on the internet. And the fact that he's Austrian is, is interesting, too. Um, so young singers. Um, you know, the, 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 that's, that aspect of their work, you know, being, becoming stage animals, becoming physical animals. Um, I mean, was I'll it... tell you one thing I see that I don't care for, and that is that um, the, one of the reasons New York City Opera fell apart is because it was uh, based on a model that wasn't really functioning well when I started which is that this is a training ground and a sort of a, 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 an entry-level opera house for American singers, for young singers, um, who will then move on to the Met. Mm -hmm. So already when I started singing, the Met said, no, 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 we want the young singers, and we'll take anybody who's, reason, who's good. Um, so uh, what's happened is the business is skewed so young now, and 
record companies are just as guilty of saying we want the new hot thing and yeah. if she's beautiful in 23 yes. even better yes and what I've seen happen and plus this influx of amazingly gifted hard-working Eastern European singers is that people don't develop artistry they don't have the time and education uh, and the space to develop artistically and they get on this circuit which is um, requires a lot of travel and a lot of quick learning and th singing of operas and everybody says it's good enough. Mm. You're pretty, you move well, mm. Mm. and um, you kind of learned it, you know. And also the temptation to cast people out of their natural fach um, into roles that are too heavy for them. I mean, yes. I, the number of Zalomes we have seen yes. over the years where someone is yeah. vocally not equipped to sing the role, which well, is, makes insane demands anyway. See, this, is, this goes to the orchestras also. Um, I mean, it, it, Royal Opera accepted because Tony Papano is very much in control of the musical product there and of making sure there's a tremendous variety and what uh, dynamic variety. Mm -hmm. But in places where the orchestras are really, don't have people who are controlling it that carefully. Um, I, in Vienna last week, I, I thought to myself, you know, it won't be long before Nina Stemme is going to have to sing every part. She'll have to sing the Mozart repertoire and the French repertoire and all of the light stuff because, you know, it's hard to hear people, uh, at least where I was sitting. And so, yeah, so, so that's, a, that's an issue. Um, you know, and I, I really wonder how long it will be before we aren't amplifying singers in the opera houses. Uh, I started to think, I heard them play Wagner in the summer, and frankly, the orchestra was glorious. I mean, so beautiful. Mm. I thought, I don't really want them to play softer. I want to hear the singers yeah. over them. But it's the beginning of the end, isn't it? Because then the joy is hearing natural voices acoustically, um, actually hearing orchestras acoustically. Yes. I mean, it happens so rarely in other forms yes. of musical theatre where right. amplification is insane. Um, and young singers come out of... I can't imagine Broadway well, being unamplified well, now. Impossible, because, I, I mean, I've, I've been on the jury of uh, competitions with young mm. music students, and they come into a room um, a fraction of this size yes. with a piano, and you can't hear them, because right. the training is not there. It's different, oh, yeah. you'll have a radio mic, you'll be fine. Do you know, it's interesting, too, because um, when I come out of a Broadway show sometimes a musical a big musical um i feel like i have been assaulted sometimes you know i'm having post-traumatic stress syndrome <laughs> because of the consistency of the volume um, but i took my daughter and some friends of hers to see beach blanket babylon in san francisco which is a really fun romp yeah and it seemed to me to be extremely loud and i said girls you know what did you think and they thought about it for a second they said no it's fine. Yeah. We wouldn't pay attention if it wasn't this yeah. loud. Yeah. So it is, a, you know, partly generational. Maybe it's hearing loss. <laughs> well, I remember when I heard Pavarotti for the first time. Uh, I remember hearing people in the audience in the foyer saying, "It's not as big as I thought it was going to be." The voice. Yes. And now you see that's where yeah. this kind of conditioning of stadium performance and also recordings. Recordings for sure. Turn the volume. You turn it up and you yeah, get this absolutely. huge climax and yeah. um, and if it's not big enough you can just tweak the volume a little more yeah, yeah. and in a live setting. I, I'll tell you my, my favorite 
is the song recital. I mean, for me, the combination of poetry, great singing, and artistry is, that's up mm. here. Mm. And there will always be an audience for that, but it might be a small audience of people. Yeah. You know, composers, I'm working a lot in new music now, and when uh, a very gifted young composer said to me, um, well, we sort of have given up on finding an audience. We're writing for each other. Meaning they're writing, and it's only chamber music that they can write, no, not orchestral repertoire. Yeah. I thought, wow, that's, that's not good. Mm. Can we talk a bit about planning repertoire for, for, for young <laughs> singers and the perceived boundaries that are sometimes mm. imposed on them? I know you, you feel strongly about this and have a lot to say about it. Um, um, uh, because planning is is crucial, I would imagine. If, if a voice is developing, presumably it's developing in the right way. If, mm. the, if the mentors and the teaching is correct, mm -hmm. um, mistakes get made, voices change, mm -hmm. but essentially one has to seriously start thinking quite early on, what am I going to sing? What repertoire am I going to sing? What are your feelings about those kind of decisions? Uh, it's, I'm less interested in repertoire than I am in technique. Uh, if you have your technique in place, your voice, and you know what your fach is, you really know, am I a soprano or a mezzo, am I a tenor or, or am I a, a high baritone, then, then, you will, then the repertoire will become clear. So do I you think. think people constrict themselves in a way? Singers can constrict themselves in what they think <laughs> they can sing? Uh, no, I mean, you know, I was singing Puccini arias when I was 12 years old because they were beautiful and, you know, I had fun doing it. I think the, what you don't want to find is that you're singing things far beyond your ability uh, and you miss out on important, on important development stages, let's say. Let's say you are really, as a young person, thinking, I don't have good high notes. But the reason you might not have good high notes is because you've never properly developed your middle or your passaggio. So those, somebody has to be there to guide you through step-by-step step, building your voice, building your technique. Uh, and then ideally things fall into place. And I always say to people, and this is painful, but you'll understand it when you can do it. <laughs> and the, the, the process by which you learn to do it is hard. It's very, it's easy to explain. You know, I can describe in five minutes what, how to sing. Uh, but doing it is complicated. Each of you is different. It's a different instrument. So voice teachers are ma part magicians, I think, because, you know, imagine if, if every piano teacher, you know, for each student had a completely different instrument. Uh, and that's what voice teachers are dealing with, is that every human being who walks in the door is, has a different physiology, bone structure, all of these things contribute to how they will produce the sound most optimally. And uh, it, it's a miracle if you get matched with the person who can help you find that route. Um, Is Mozart still up there as, as, a, as a great place to develop a voice? So much of it sits in the middle of the voice, doesn't it? And, Mozart's um, very hard for my voice type because of it sits in the passaggio. So anything that requires you to live in the passaggio as a young person is going to be very challenging. Um, and each voice type is different. But on, but on the other hand, I credit vo uh, Mozart as one of my voice teachers because I started singing Mozart for 10 years. I had to solve that problem 
I had to become create, um, courageous about singing a very exposed uh, kind of repertoire that required perfection and, you know, just perfection. <laughs> and um, stylistic um, um, purity and, and a whole list of requirements. Um, perfect pitch. Mozart is, is challenging. Bel canto is Mozart with high notes. Handel is Mozart that moves. <laughs> and Handel is even better, I think, for mm. soprano because the tessitura is lower. Um, but it depends. Every voice is different. Mm. I am singing, well, two things. Some of my colleagues who started in Puccini because it was more popular, their careers lasted five, six years. They, Puccini killed their voices. Um, Maria Callas said, Puccini will kill you because it has a, there's a throbbing intensity and a weight that you cannot help but give. You want to contribute mm -hmm. to the emotional experience yep. that the audience is having to your own detriment. Yeah. So I, this is a little secret, <laughs> another one, have just started to sing Mozart again for myself, for my own, to be reminded of what that felt like. Um, it, it's sort of a reworking technically as my voice changes now, which, you know, frankly, your voice will change forever. So don't imagine you learn how to sing and then you can go, phew, on other things. <laughs> it's a nonstop pursuit, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. You have to embrace it and enjoy it and accept wrestling with your instrument. I, I've watched you give a number of masterclasses, Renee, and you're giving some here on Tuesday, I think. Yes. Um, what, what are the most common issues you encounter? Um, because the psychological and the technical are interwoven, I suppose, but what are the most common problems you encounter in masterclasses, or, or don't you? Well, you know, um, I was... I was so happy to hear from Warden Price yesterday this idea that all of what we're discussing about the voice and technique and your craft and, and by the way, you have to be theatrical, is a far second to whatever magic you can create on stage. So what I see mostly in master classes, and granted, students are expecting to be judged Nobody likes to be judged. I mean, nobody, you know, wants to know that I both the, the person you're singing for, who you might idolize in some to some respect, and the people in the audience are going mm, ten, mm, seven, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it difficult. But on the other hand, at your stage, you'll be auditioning, which is the same thing. Um, so I see. I, I would love to be able to say, okay, now turn all of that off. The, all the work you're doing. And just thinking about about think about what you're saying and try to communicate that to the audience. Mm. Try to be expressive. Be in the zone. Let it let it flow through you because it's that's the only thing that will really separate the men from the boys and amongst musicians. And I was so happy when you said that and, and sort mm. of said it very clearly mm. uh, because it, it's the truth. And that's it's hard to get to that point. You strike a nice balance, it seems to me, between you know the encouragement and nailing the issues. Yes. Um, uh, we've all seen masterclasses with people who, where we learn more about the singer than we do about the students. Mm. Um, I think of back to Schwarzkopf's masterclasses. Yes. My goodness me. <laughs> they, they, were, yes. they were an experience. Well, I had a week of that. Yes. Did you have a week of yes. that? Yes, trial by fire. It took me t <laughs> I had a week of it. It took me two years to get over it. <laughs> 
Did she? Yes. Did, but, did you but, get anything from her? Oh, I got a piece of the singing puzzle without which I would, I would not be here today okay. without it. And what was that? Technically, it was all about, for a week, she screamed at me to cover, 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 cover. And it was about how to sing in the Passaggio. So, and I, and that was the key to, for me to find the top, and it was a hugely important piece. Mm. But it took me a, a while to integrate it properly. Let's talk a bit about the diversity of voices. Next month in Washington, D.C., you're curating what looks to be, on paper, a, a really exciting event, a kind of festival of singing, which encompasses all kinds of singing, from people like Josh Groban <laughs> to Sutton Foster from Broadway and soul singers. And um, Where did this idea come from? And I'm excited about it because I love voices, not yeah. just opera voices, but voices. Oh, good. No, you I hear really that. Do. Good. You know I do. I do, yeah. too. I'm a singer geek, yeah. I would say. Yes. Yeah. I, and I've listened and sung all kinds of styles from early on. And I, I always, I rejected this um, uh, template that came from really the gold, in, the recent golden age, which was the 50s and 60s. Uh, this is your repertoire, this is how you should look, this is what your life should be like, and this is how she, you should behave. You know, the sort of persona. This. Yeah. Oh, and you, and you will speak in an intercontinental accent <laughs> with a lot of space in your song. <laughs> so I sort of rejected that and um, said, well, wait a minute. I grew up listening to folk and pop and jazz and singing in a jazz club. And so who am I? You know, how, how do I reframe what it means to be a singer uh, in my generation, and why, did, why, why do we have to follow this template? How many so, of the audience have heard Rene's jazz album? Um, um, well, there... Haunted Heart. There's that. And there's and Dark Hope. Dark Hope was sort of indie rock. Um, the first public interview we did together, Rene, I played River, Joni Mitchell's River, as mm. the entrance music, and I swear that most of that audience thought they'd churn up on the wrong night. Right, right. Because it was yeah, amazing. You could be a yeah. jazz singer. You could really well, seriously have, be a jazz I, singer. That is, is really something that I have a background in, you know, and, and will probably incorporate some of that music a little bit more. But um, the, whole, the whole repertoire issue is, is one. The, the barriers have broken down. And we're so far ahead of you in the US in terms of the decline of our audience <laughs> in classical music. Uh, and, so I'm very much involved in, in trying to reclaim some of that. Uh, exposure is uh, very important. So American Voices came about because, and it could you know, be international voices, it could be any thing. It's an opportunity to cross genre and look at what singers have in common, what challenges we face. Mm -hmm. You know, being a fan of jazz, I've always wondered why why are they having a hard time earning a living? And why um, why aren't they more across the boards, better known. They seem to be more accepted in Europe than in the US, um, jazz musicians in general. I mean, Wynton Marsalis has done a lot, uh, certainly to help sure. say, this is classic, it's classical now, it's our music and we should celebrate it. Um, so what, what the, what the uh, event is, it's three days and you can all, it, it's all gonna be on the internet uh, and there'll be a telecast too that will probably come over here as well. So from, um, we just got Sarah Borales and uh, Ben Folds 
to sign up. And besides Josh, we have Allison Krause. Me and Eric Owens are classical. Um, Sutton Foster and Norm Lewis are Broadway. I don't even know if any of these names are. Have you heard of any of these people? Yes, okay. So it's gonna be a really extraordinary concert in which we all trade genre and I don't think anybody's going to sing an aria mm -hmm. from the other worlds, but, mm. but we'll, we'll come together and, and celebrating music. Uh, but what I'm really <coughs> proud of is there will be master classes in each genre with some of the most gifted students from around the country. There will be panels then for each genre saying, what are the challenges we have today? How is the training? What is the career path? What are the business issues? What are the lifestyle issues? Why do so many pop singers die at the age of 27? You know, why are so many pop singers having high-profile surgeries? So the first seminar is Dr. Steven Zaitels, who operated on Adele, Steven Tyler, um, Lionel Richie, and a whole host of other singers. So he'll talk about why I can sing Jilda when I'm 70, because <laughs> they're now the, the same techniques apply to um, you know, rejuvenating people's faces will rejuvenate vocal cords. Uh, so I'm, of course, very interested to hear about that. <laughs> Not that anyone will want to see me singing Jilda, et cetera. Um, and uh, also, Linda Carroll, Dr. Linda Carroll, will talk about I mean, your speaking voice, the importance. They work with presidents and people who lose their voices, uh, who, are, have, who need their voices. Okay. We have a really interesting business um, seminar with uh, the head of Universal for Nashville, Peter Mensch, who is, manages all the biggest um, Metallica and all the biggest heavy metal bands. Um, Don Wuss, who is the head of Blue Note, and several more people from PR, from education, who will say, here's what's happened. In fact, one guy actually asked to be part of it, and he owns a company that does music and gaming. You know, the importance of selling music now in the gaming venue. So we'll, what's happened to recording? Um, what's happened to, what has the internet done for all of us? The, the fact that there are only two record companies now, that's a bit mm -hmm. s not mm -hmm. so healthy for the business. And uh, also management. My own management company is about to undergo a tremendous, tremendous change. Uh, and then finally, the third one is about vocal pedagogy. So for all of you singers, since I started singing, and all of, until recently, all of singing training was based on the history, the tradition that was passed down. Um, unfortunately, my voice teacher and a, a lot of her contemporaries guarded their secrets, didn't want to share them, and because it was their power, and it, a lot of it was lost with them. So, uh, however, science has replaced that. The science of vocal pedagogy has changed dramatically. The language, the proof, most of it's taken place in Scandinavia, a lot of it, and um, it's solid. It's really solid. So we'll explore that mm. for the third mm. day. Um, let's talk a little about new writing because, you know, as you said, alluded to earlier, you know, we don't want to be living in an operatic museum for the rest of time. No. Um, new pieces are emerging. So now, one aspect, uh, I mean, it's the gift of being able to write drama gratefully for the voice. Yeah. This is a great gift. And one aspect that you Americans have a real head start on is that 
is that glorious musical theatre tradition mm. in America. And many of your young composers, I mean, people who come from Broadway, like Stephen Schwartz, <laughs> who've now started trying to work in a more operatic manner, experimenting there. Composers like Jake he Heggie, Adam Gethel, Michael John Lacusa, who kind of mm. blur the boundaries between right. musical, musicals and opera. Ricky and Gordon, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, and they're drawing upon that great legacy. Mm. This is surely really healthy because in the 30s and 40s in New York, um, people like Mark Blitzstein, an opera like Regina mm. was, was performed kind of on Broadway mm -hmm. as opposed to in an opera house. Yeah. Um, it's something I'm passionate about because mm. I believe it's all one great repertoire. Right with different colors. Yeah, I think ideally opera wouldn't even be called opera. Yeah, now. exactly. It, it should be some, some cute <clears throat> title that, that opens it up to music and theater together. Yes. Singing and theater yeah. together. And um, the, you know, I, I work as a creative consultant for the Lyric Opera of Chicago now, which has been really fabulous. And they've charged me because I, the first project I curated is Bel Canto. Um, Ann Patchett, the writer, wrote a book, Bel Canto, that's been enormously successful. Everybody thinks it's about me because the protagonist is an American diva, soprano, who sings Rusalka and Alcina. So I, I don't think there have been too many who have who, had that. It's certainly not when the book came out 10 years ago. Um, but in fact, she just had my records sitting around. She didn't know me at all. So we're producing the opera, uh, and I got a uh, Peruvian composer trained in Helsinki, which is one of the great um, composition schools, great orchestrator, a real a flavor in his music that is accessible but quality. And uh, however, he'd never written an opera before, and really smart young man. The librettist is Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Nilo Cruz. Uh, so we've circumvented the whole American composition mm -hmm. issue mm -hmm. by, by having this have a South American uh, focus, which the book does. It's about the hostage crisis in Peru. And the, um, the problem with what you're describing is, you know, composition has traditionally been a, um, you know, a situation where every new generation was supposed to forge new ground and create completely new um, works and completely new musical language and suddenly that fell apart in the 20th century and the same thing happened in jazz when the language be became inaccessible to the mainstream public or the music loving public mm. and yet the alternative which was repeating what had been done before was not really working either because then you're in a situation where well you know that sounds like Barber or that sounds like you know Elgar or something mm. So how to find this new way? In America, John Adams has been the answer. Um, minimalism, Steve Reich, and that school has done, I think, very well and been interesting. I personally lobbied to bring actual classical American music theater works into the Opera House regionally. So we have a Rodgers and Hammerstein initiative every mm -hmm, year we do. Mm -hmm one of those pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're great pieces. They are, but the composition, I, I'm all for the melding of those two languages, and certainly if it's pop, if it's pop influence, because that's kind of fresh sounding, if it's really good. Um, then that's the key. That's the key, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Leonard Bernstein always spoke about writing 
the great American opera. Right. Um, because in his day, he thought that the word opera elevated what he did. Yes. And he wrote great musicals. Right. And one of the greatest musicals of all right. time. Right. Um, so there are perception issues, yes. aren't there, really, where people sort of jealously guard what they if see. If I as had my, my druthers, I would have a company that would have threads. There would be a uh, Western European thread, there would be a music theater thread, there would be a pop thread. Regina Spector wants to write an opera. Um, and we would find, you know, what is right for, because you have to have an audience. Mm. You know, so it can't, and, and there would be a really challenging musical thread as well. Mm. You know, so, uh, because you have to find what the thing is diffused so much now, it is difficult to figure out who the audience is. Mm. Before we bring the audience in for some questions, I'd, uh, we were talking about, I mean, the Rosencavalier earlier on and the insane scheduling and planning issues. Of, I said, when is this Renee at Covent Garden? And she said, I, d I don't know, 2017, 18, something like that. I mean, how. Humanly, can you think about what you're going to be doing in five years' time? I mean, it's insane, isn't it? Well, I mean, the scheduling thing for me has always been the biggest challenge, also because I have two children. So trying to figure out how to um, be their mother and travel and maintain my career worldwide. I don't have a reduced territory. I mean, I just had amazing experience in China and in South America. Oh, yeah. Audiences yeah. are so crazy for what we do and you know I've only had this experience once or twice where when I've tried to leave the opera house I couldn't leave because there were throngs surrounding the car it's so exciting <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in China I had the same thing only they were all under 30 and I would say 70 percent women and it was from my first number uh, in all of these cities, and I've been to China many times, but I've seen the audience really change. You know, it used to be more official, and now it's, it's the university students have really um, found it. And for, right after the first number, you'd hear, ah! And I thought, wow, there are a lot of sopranos. I mean, I knew it was a big population, but that's a lot of sopranos in one city. So I said, well, how many of you are singers? And only maybe five. People raise their hands. So there's this phenomenal, completely inverted model there where the youth have said, we've discovered this great music and it comes from Europe and, and our parents don't know anything about it and our <laughs> grandparents don't know anything about it. Whereas in the US it's, oh, classical music, oh yeah, my, my grandparents do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not for me. So it's really fun. It's extraordinary that the language issues alone yeah. for, for, for the Chinese, for example, and they, they produce some really interesting singers. I mean, well, Cardiff Singer of the World every year. Well, I'm sort of, uh, I'm, I'm helping develop those incredible voices because they have, the, they have mm. that. They certainly, they do have a singing, a huge singing tradition. It's choral. And uh, you know, if you go into a park in any major city in China on a Sunday, there will be six amateur choral groups singing these folk songs mm. um, and a lot of men's voices. It sounds like Russian male singers too. But uh, I loved it and I had a wonderful, I went to Zaha Hadid's new opera house in Guangzhou, mm. which um, I don't know, it, it's phenomenal inside. From the outside it looks sort of like a Klingon um, you know, vessel. It's, it's, it's scaly and dark and 
but inside it's really stunning. I walked out, and I'd recently been in Hong Kong, which is very humid. So I thought, well, disaster for my hair, but the voice is loving it. So, you know, I have my priorities straight. And I walked in outside and I said, oh, look, oh, you can see the mist. It's phenomenal. Oh, this is so good. It's wonderful. My voice is loving this. I go into the opera house and I walk on stage and I said, the mist is in the house. I can see it in the lights. It's, oh, and I had this great concert. I felt so good. I go back to the hotel, and you know, they said, we, Miss Fleming, we can't have a signing for you because we can't control the crowds. They're out of control. <laughs> I go back to the hotel, and the chef in the lounge says, you didn't go outside, did you? I said, what do you mean? He said, the pollution is really bad right now. <laughs> Let me tell you the power of the mind. I thought it was fog. Yeah. Um, one, one last point I wanted to address with the advanced planning that you have to engage in. I mean, do you spend time thinking about when you might stop? I mean, I don't want you to stop. Nobody does. But do you, do you think about that issue? Because yeah. I did a thing like this with Dame Janet Baker mm. a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, she stopped singing very early, like 55. Mm. Um, and a lot of people took it a task mm -hmm. for stopping that early. But I just, is this something you discuss with people? I've or? been thinking about it for about 30 years. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure I'm in control of it and it's yeah. not in control of me. Yes. So I started early with that. And uh, I, I, um, I'll tell you, my template for that is Leontine Price. She's spent time with me in an incredibly generous wow. private way. Yeah. Really, she turns into a preacher in a private session where she's banging the table and pacing and don't let me hear you say that again. <laughs> and she's really powerful and she, um, she stopped singing opera at 58. To, it's on the YouTube, it's still hugely viewed by people. It was Aida, you know, not a little ditty. Yeah. And then concertized till she was 72. Wow. And she said she had more fun then, she earned all her money then. And because uh, uh, opera doesn't pay anything, just you know, just telling you. <laughs> and uh, if you're a very successful opera singer and can concertize, then you can do better. Mm. So, um, so I like that. That sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Renee. As usual, thank for you being all so for being so <coughs> easy and fluent and yes. absorbing. So thank <laughs> you, Thanks, Edward. Michael. Wonderful job. Thank you.